Welcome adventurers, this is MuseCast 14, your podcast for everything roleplay in the world of Eorzea. I'm your co-host Emmy. And I'm your co-host Remix Sakura. And last episode we talked a little bit about some of the places within the Far East. We talked about Doma, we talked about Hingashi and Chirogane, we even talked a little bit about Yansha. And so today we're going to continue our episode series on the Far East. And what better way to travel around the Far East than using the Ruby Sea? Well, except, of course, for the fact that there are some pirates around there. There's more pirates? You mean there's not just pirates in Limsa? Right, yeah, the East has some pirates, too. Yes. <laughs> Watch out, Rollweb, you've got some competition. <laughs> yeah, now these pirates, it seems like, are a little bit more organized than Limsa, because you don't have, like... You might have individual ship crews, I suppose, but all of these these pirates are united through the Confederacy. That's right. I would say that ethnically and sociologically, they're kind of a ragtag group. They come from all over the Far East. You see Rugadin and Hir and Aura. Still no Lala's, though. <laughs> yeah, but they seem to take in outcasts from all over the Far East into this extra-legal organization that makes their living by enacting attacks on any ships entering the Ruby Sea, for which they will guarantee your safety. It's like, you can go across yourself, but if something happens to you, we aren't going to be there to help you at all. Yeah, but this may actually be helpful considering the Garlean presence in the area. True. Now, unfortunately, I guess they've been trying to be an entity with power in in saying, if you want to cross safely, if you want to guarantee your safety, you have to pay this tax. But unfortunately, because the Garleans are there and they will destroy anybody who acknowledges them and pays this tax, their power has very much lessened. They've really become an organization that was all bark and no bite, really. That said, though, because they aided the Warrior of Light in the liberation of Doma with their ships, they might have a little bit more power nowadays, but we really don't know. I'd like to see what became of them after they liberated Doma. Yeah, it's safe to say that they want to retain their independence and just do their own thing rather than becoming officially associated with anybody. Pirates are all about freedom above all else. Instead of sticking around for the big celebration, they're just like, yeah, we're gone now, peace out. See you later. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be continuing to get people to pay taxes now. Yeah. Especially now that Garlemald has no hold in Doma at all. Yeah. They also seem to make pretty good friends with the Kojin at the same time, whom they share the Ruby Sea with. Yeah, the Kojin are really two tribes of, of people, really turtle people, I would say. Yeah. And they primarily, I believe, deal with trade. Well, the Red Kojin, aka the bad guys were all about being Garlean mercenaries. I see. And then the Blue Cogen were the traitors. I'm yeah. misremembering. But what's going to happen to their jobs now that Garlemald's out? Hmm. hmm. That is a good question. Now that you say it, I'm reminded of a character friend of mine who created a glamour-to-be Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles base <laughs> using some of the Beast Tribe glamour. And so I'm wondering, could you possibly make a Kojin character using, <laughs> for example, the Vath shell? I think it's possible. Hmm. Yeah, they are an intelligent race, so there's no reason why you can't roleplay one. Yeah, I don't see why you couldn't. Another really interesting place that we discover in the Ruby Sea is 
an underwater village like the one that the Kojin live in, but it's populated with Ran Alra. We call that Suinosato, which is one of those great names that never got localized, but it gives a little bit of that Eastern flavor, right? I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> it's in Hingan. Now, Suinosato is pretty small, right? It's an isolated, really, bubble underneath the Ruby Sea. Yeah. And in its backstory, long ago, one of the Ran was given the magical gift, just like we got, to breathe underwater. So the small population of Ran settled here, basically learned to live off the sea, as some people might live off the land, but have also remained very small and very isolated and are essentially completely independent. They have their own monarch, the Ruby Princess. They're mistrustful of outsiders, as are many of these isolated locations. Yeah. Now, of course, this isn't where all rain are located. It's said in the lore book that the rain settled all across Athard, and they live in places like Doma, Hingashi, other Atharian islands. So they do happen to reside under the sea in Suinosato, but don't view it as though you have to live in Suinosato if you are a rain ara. However, we do also know that the rain tend to stay in one place, unlike the Zela, which we'll talk about a little bit later. They have buildings in these villages, they have town hubs, so you can see that they don't exactly pick up and just go whenever the time is right, whenever they find that the land is infertile. They just, they stay in one place, and they manage that area accordingly. Yeah, they seem to be a lot better integrated into the general Authard culture. I agree. Although, if there are other towns that are like Suinosato, it does seem like there are cultural bubbles that exist within these villages. Suinosato itself doesn't have much cultural diversity. You don't see any other races other than Aura, and even then, you only see these Rain Aura. You don't see any Zela. In fact, the only mention of mixed-race individuals that we hear of in Suinosato exists in the form of fairy tales and a side quest that happens after you do the dungeon Shisui of the Violet Tides. It talks about a rain who had very, very few scales on his body because his father was a hero and his mother was an Aura. So it seems like mixed-race individuals might be a thing, but if they are, they're extremely rare. It's not even sure of if the tale is entirely true. There are some maybe threads of it, as we find in the questline. I won't spoil it. But it does seem to confirm that there are very few cultural anomalies that exist within these towns. For sure. For sure, the mainland is a lot more integrated and mixed. Maybe the Ruby Sea is kind of like where all the outcasts go. Yeah, you know, I think you might be right. Because it's not even a land, it's just some water with some islands. And some bubbles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, the last region in the Far East that we'll be covering is definitely the most isolated of all of them. The Azim Steppe, homeland of the Zela, who have not integrated into the Far East culture at all. I really love the Azim Steppe and the Zela culture. To be honest, it's one of my favorite areas that we explore within Stormblood, just because of how different everything is. I absolutely love it. For sure, for sure. They definitely kept their old ways. A steppe region, geographically, refers to flatlands. You can see that 
There are mountains surrounding the steppe, but within it, it's mostly just flat plain with a couple of rocks. And that makes it relatively easy for these nomadic tribes to move around. They only make short-term settlements. There might be a hub, like the temporary village of the Mole that we visit, or the town of Reunion, which is sort of a meeting place rather than a residence. But for the most part, they hunt and forage in different areas of the steppe. And the tribe system is really, really interesting, because we know that currently there are 51 tribes of Zela, all of which are independent and each having a unique culture of its own. However, because of the nomadic nature of the culture, there haven't always been these 51 tribes. Tribes are always being born, being formed, or dying off. Especially since you consider that a lot of these tribes are at war with each other perpetually. <laughs> That's true. And you would think that with all of these warring tribes, how do these people actually get along in day-to-day -day life? Do they just, are they perpetually at war? Well, it's a little bit more organized than that. In fact, all of the tribes have a sort of ranking system, with the ranks being chosen through combat every so often in a contest called the Nadam. The Nadam actually parallels, though, a traditional festival in Mongolia that has the exact same name. Oh. Yeah. The Nadam in Mongolia is more of a sort of Olympics-type style of gathering in which people take part in sports like wrestling, horse racing, archery. Now, in the case of this Nadam that we see in the Azim Steppe, it's more so just hand-to-hand -hand combat, use whatever weapons you have. Yeah, it's sort of like their form of an election. <laughs> yeah, you could say that. And the winner of this contest ends up being respected as their tribe being the superior one and guiding the rest of the tribes in general pursuits during the course of their tenure. Yeah, until the next contest. Exactly. Yeah, it's true that a lot of the cultural bits, even linguistics, are taken from real life. The steppe region would include Mongolia, parts of Russia, Siberia, Kazakhstan, or even western China. Wow, that's a lot of different places mm -hmm. that this is based on. Yeah, and also, I guess you could say the closest analog to this culture in Eorzea would be the Mikode, who also natively have a tribe system. For example, there's the 26 tribes of the Seeker of the Sun, one for each letter, even though technically, if you want to form a new tribe, well, you got to pick two letters as your prefix. It's been known to happen, even though it's not that common. Yeah, I do wonder how how well these two tribal systems would end up getting along. How many similarities the two would have if they actually got to know one another. Because it does seem like, unfortunately, the Azim Steppe and these Zela tribes tend to associate mainly with one another. You don't see any other races similar to the rain. You don't see any other types of Ara within the Azim Steppe. Now, it does seem like perhaps intertribal marriage might be acceptable to an extent. You see, for example, Magni trying to flirt with Serena <laughs> in the main scenario. Yeah. I mean, in that case, though, I do wonder, like, would one person have to join the other person's tribe? In which case, which person would it be traditionally? It doesn't really say, but because Magna is trying to flirt with Serena and being like, what was it? Are you my, my, uh... Nama. Nama, yeah. Are you my Nama? <laughs> like, I, I wonder how acceptable would that be and what the, the standards would be in that case. Yeah. Among the tribes that are described in a lore book, some are patriarchal, some are matriarchal, 
So it may not be necessarily based on gender. Maybe it's for whichever tribe is on top at the present time. That's the one that, you know, the other spouse joins or that the children become part of. That could be. Or maybe, I imagine because of the number of tribes and all of the different focuses that each tribe has, you know, one of them focuses on reincarnation and the afterlife. One of them focuses more on being you know, shepherders, like the moles, it becomes a little bit more difficult in some cases for people to incorporate into the values of one tribe as opposed to another. I imagine that the more values that each tribe shares, the easier it would be for somebody to incorporate into another tribe if needed. Yeah, yeah, you can almost not even think of the Zela as all one people because each tribe really wants to carve out their own place and they might each have their values and idiosyncrasies. Now, the lore book contains at least a short description of each of the current 51 tribes, but of course not all appear in the main scenario. And with this flexible system of, well, technically you could form your own tribe, I think that's part of the reason why the Zaylor have been really popular with roleplayers, because there's a lot of freedom and variance. I think so too. It's very accessible for people to jump into because they can just make up their own culture. Yeah, or pick from any of the available tribes that are out there that they connect with. Just build on the two sentences that the lore book contains, you know? Mm -hmm. But at the same time, they do share some values, such as in their creation myth. Right, all of them believe in the Dawn Father and the Dusk Mother from whom all Aura descended. So I think that things like that, things like the Nadam, in which you have this generally accepted hierarchy of tribes for a certain amount of time, it allows for a somewhat coherent society of nomads, even though, yes, there are going to be feuds between the tribes over different things. It still prevents things from descending into complete and utter chaos. Yeah. <laughs> Though it's not super clear how the Zela feel about the Rayan. True. You never really see any of them interacting very much, with the exception of, okay, Yugiri came to the Azim step to go pick up Hien. And that's about it. That's about all you see. Yeah. Is it a feud? Or is it just more like separate but equal? Okay, the Rayan decided to go integrate, and we're just not going to do that. We're going to stick around here in the step. Not sure. At the same time, even though we got to explore Yansha and the step, there's a lot more on the continent of Othard that we haven't yet explored. The map shows us plenty of other regions, to the south, to the west. Will we get to go there one day? Possibly we may see other types of cultures, other racial distributions. But I guess we'll just have to see. Uh-huh. Somewhere down the line. <laughs> so we'll wrap up our segment on the Azim Steppe and the Far East by quoting somebody who submitted a thing to us. Uh, somebody by the name of Derp Jovi on Twitter. And they said, There is something savagely beautiful about the Zela. They're passionate people who live day to day according to their respective beliefs. They're people who honor tradition above all else, but as proven during Stormblood's Nadam, they are more than willing to set aside their differences, albeit temporarily, if it means they can get a good fight. It feels like you can see a lot more stars in the steppes than anywhere else. It's pretty great. <laughs> yeah, it might be a tough, rough, warlike life, but... They get to live it the way they choose, in their own way. And that's how any role player really gets to see the world. You get to create your character and 
choose whatever culture you like to be, whatever suits your fancy. Mm-hmm. Even the Kestir, where you can't actually talk. <laughs> you can still communicate in other yeah. methods, though. You can communicate entirely through slash EM. <laughs> I think that's a really cool way to do it, though. Hmm. So that about wraps up everything that we know so far on the Far East that we learned in Stormblood. Now, before we conclude, I wanted to mention a specific issue that is likely to come up for role players now that we have a number of cultures in Hydaelyn and Eorzea that are very clearly and obviously based on real-life cultures, whether it's the Zela or the Far East, coming from regions of Asia, or even the Ananta, who are clearly inspired by South Asia. And that's not even the only culture where this is the case. You have Ishgard that's based on, like, the Catholic Church. You have the Sea Wolves based on the Norse and Germanic Viking cultures. You know, it's not only the Far East, it's not only Stormblood cultures, but I think because it's very, very easy to see the cultures within Othard and the, the real-life cultures that they correspond to, this may end up becoming a lot more of a prolific issue. Yeah. Inevitably, there's going to be discourse about cultural appropriation and what that actually means and why it really gets on some people's nerves and people get so upset about it. So what exactly is cultural appropriation, then? Well, you could say it's when, in a creative work, somebody borrows from a real-life culture some symbol, visual, linguistic, but uses it in an inappropriate way that isn't actually true to its source material, you could say. Now, it's a really tough situation, I think, especially for an international community as FF14 is. Yeah, the development team is Japanese, and one of the zones they created is very, very clearly based on Japan. It doesn't mean that they're necessarily infallible. They have their own perspectives, and the community as a whole is still international, so there are going to be different perspectives between us as the players, who are much more diverse, and the development team themselves. Now, we certainly don't want to get too serious business or offend anybody or make any kind of super political statement, but I do think that it is relevant for role players because we're creating our own characters and different things are going to inspire us and we're going to want to draw from these in-game cultures no matter what our own personal backgrounds are. There are tons of people already role-playing Aura. Are all of them actually of Asian descent in real life? That's pretty unlikely. Does it mean that they're not allowed to do that? Well, there's two extremes in this view. On one extreme, people will say that no one should ever borrow from a real-life culture unless they are ethnically, genetically part of that culture. That to do so is appropriation, it's stealing, it's colonialist, and it should never be done. Well, on the other hand, you have people who are saying that cultural appropriation really isn't a valid thing. If you're borrowing cultural elements, you're just paying respect to that culture. And besides, it's all a game. It's all fictional. So why should you even be offended in the first place? And as with most things, an extreme view is probably not the right way to go. Probably the truth is somewhere more in the middle. Right. There aren't really any defined lines as to what's appropriate, what's not. We don't have all the answers as to what you can do, what you can't do, and... The reason why we're bringing this up is not to speak on behalf of other ethnic groups. More so, just be respectful of other people, be sensible in your roleplay choices. You know, the cultures are fictional, but 
they are inspired by real cultures and real people are part of those cultures and they have real feelings. So our perspective, I believe, is role play whoever you like. It doesn't matter your ethnic background. Role play is about freedom and creativity and using your imagination and going wherever your heart tells you to go. But when you are role playing as somebody from another culture, try your best to do your research. Read the lore, figure out what real life culture is, the society that your character lives in is based on, and try and stay away from stereotypes of those cultures. And when you do have people who might be offended, who are part of that culture, listen to those opinions, keep those in mind, and try and respect them as best you can. Yeah, for sure. We can't guarantee that no one will ever be offended, but you can always say that you did your research, you did the best you could. Now, I'll share two of my own experiences, which I believe, and the people around me also believe, were a good path to borrowing from cultures and having fun. For example, I'm just as much of a weeaboo as anyone else playing video games and watching anime, and I own a yukata, which is like a cotton garment similar to a kimono, and I wear it every year to the Cherry Blossom Festival that happens in my city. And so do thousands of other attendees from all kinds of backgrounds like to wear traditional Japanese clothing to this event. Now, one person might say, you're not allowed to wear yukata because you're not Japanese. But on the other hand, a spring Cherry Blossom Festival is exactly the context in which one wears a yukata. And I know this. I've also gotten compliments from Japanese friends saying, oh, you look cute in it. Oh, you figured out how to tie the obi. And I have fun with it, just as I do with lots of other clothing and cosplay. It doesn't seem to me that me wearing this yukata, or the existence of this event in America, is doing anything but celebrating Japanese culture and sharing it with other people. Right, and you're wearing the yukata in the context in which it's supposed to be worn. Yeah, exactly. Another experience I had was that I was invited to what was to be a traditional Indian wedding by a friend of mine, a longtime friend. So I thought it would be fun to also get a traditional Indian outfit. Before I did this, I asked my friend who was getting married, because I'm not Indian or Indian American, and he said it was fine. So I went to a nearby neighborhood in my city, which is populated largely by Indian Americans. I went to the shop. I asked the shopkeeper, what should I wear? And I even asked another friend when I wasn't sure what to get, what would be comfortable, what would be appropriate. So neither my friend, my second friend, or the shopkeeper seemed to be offended in any way that I was not Indian American and that I was wearing this outfit to the wedding. When I wore it, I had fun and I got compliments. Pieces of culture were borrowed without any disrespect. So I definitely don't have the view that culture can't be shared, nor that, you know, someone's ethnic background should really determine anything about what they're going to do. Borrowing is inevitable. And... It's especially going to happen in fictional settings, too, because there isn't always a one-to-one -one analog between Doma is sort of Japan, but it's also sort of China, and oh, the steppe is sort of Mongolia, but it's also sort of Western China. There isn't like this one-to-one -one analog. So as far as roleplay, I would hate to see anyone really feel limited or being afraid of offending people. I want to see people feel free to use their imaginations in any way, while at the same time being respectful everyone having fun that's what it's all about yeah so that's our view if you happen to disagree let us know we we would love to know what you think and why you think that yeah and when you think about it 
Square Enix is a Japanese company that's already borrowed from plenty of places that aren't Japan, and we don't feel that it's wrong that they did that. In fact, we're giving them our sub money. You yeah. could say we're supporting <laughs> this in some way. Yeah, yeah. So if you are too, think about that <laughs> before saying that cultures can never be borrowed. All right, and that's all for the serious business today. <laughs> Indeed. Now let's go on to something a little bit more lighthearted. Every week we share a random game or a roleplay experience. It doesn't have to be in character, but it's just because we love the game so very much, we wanted to share these stories with all of you. So what has happened to you in the time between last episode and this one? Well, my favorite seasonal event has started, Moonfire Fair. Yay! All the fireworks over my beach house in the mist. So great. Yeah, I love being able to climb up to the roof on Scoot's old dollhouse and just watch them from there. Yeah, we got the new islands on Costa del Sol. I love Endless Summer. And with our little lich community, I really wanted to do something on the beach. So Rolva Benanimo hosted a little swim party the other day. We did. I think it was a pretty big success. We had initially thought of maybe we should have some games to try and keep people's attention, but conversation went on very freely between everybody who was involved. And so we didn't even need to do that. Yeah, we were trying to figure out how we could translate beach volleyball into slash random. <laughs> Luckily, we didn't have to. Yeah, we went for like a couple of hours. And I don't feel like it really fell off. Everyone was really entertained. We had food. I like making the food items and handing them out. Even though I think that Nanamo had a little bit of trouble bartending. Yeah, that was really unfortunate. They they don't have any step stools behind the bar at all. And so my character, who is not even a minimum height Lollafell, she's mid-height for pretty much any sort of Lollafell. And she could not see over the counter at all. And I just find it very strange that if... The Lalafell Gegajuru was the person in charge of building this. Like, you would think that the Lalafell would have some sort of of foresight to anticipate that other Lalafells might be working there. And yet, they didn't put any sort of step stools for the Lalafells behind the bar. And that was <laughs> kind of unfortunate because Nanamo was trying to stand on her tiptoes like the entire time, just trying to serve people. <laughs> Petition to put Lalafell and Stepstools in the open world. Yes, please. <laughs> so what else did you do while you were you were at this beach party? Hmm. Well, Nanama was trying to, to learn to swim and Rovib was uh, trying to teach her. Along with another member of our free company, Vakib the Rogue. Both of them can swim. I thought that was a fun little roleplay. Oh, and not to mention, it rained a lot during our beach party. Yeah, as it does sometimes in real life when you hold a beach party. <laughs> so you just kind of kind of deal with it. But luckily the rain passes a little bit faster in game. Yeah, so we had a little bit of time to swim around and everything. For sure. But if you haven't yet done your Moonfire Fair quests, go do them. Get your sexy bikini or mankini and visit the Isle of Endless Summer. Swim with the fishes, watch out for sharks, take pictures with the fireworks. <laughs> yeah. Take pictures of some rose through a spyglass. Yeah, there's a couple of Easter eggs, too. You can see Zloe and Chloe and Takib from Idleshire. You see the flexing men. You can also see Ultros, who is perving on some ladies. <laughs> oh my goodness. If you wait long enough, he's not always there. You kind of have to wait for him to appear. 
Isn't that the case with all the NPCs, though? You have to sort of wait around and, and wait for them to arrive. Zloe and Chloe and Tiki are on, a, are on a rock that you have to swim out all the way to like the southern end of the swimming area. Ultros I saw, but then he disappeared after a while. I think the flexing dudes are always there. Yeah, you can always spy on the Rukadin in Subligars. <laughs> if you so choose. Curl Beach briefs, yeah. <laughs> yeah, not quite my thing, but you never know. I don't yeah. know. that this The quest line I thought was pretty hilarious because of the flexing yeah, men. It is. <laughs> so go ahead and do that if you get the chance. Mm-hmm. My story is, well, you realize I have a lot of Nanamo alts, right? Yeah. Well. I've seen your list. In order to help a stage reborn, I decided that I was going to create Nanamo alts, one of every race, on Diablos. So in addition to like the 10 Nanamo Ulnamos I have, I now have Nanamo Ulnormo, who's a here. <laughs> Normo. Nanamo Ulnyamo, I bet you, you can guess who that one is. <laughs> Nanamo Ulnaro, Nanamo Auramo, oh. and Nanamo Elnamo. That's hilarious. So, anyways, I was working on one of these characters, and I had to get through parts of the main scenario. I'm still working on it. But it got really late, and I just kind of got a little bit silly. And so my Nanamos, because it was helping with the stage reborn in their FC house is in Gridania, I initially created all of them as Gridanians. And as such, I had to go meet with the other Aorzine Alliance leaders. Well, it got to be about like 2 a.m. my time. And I was like, you know what? I'm tired of all these gear set things. I'm going to go and try and troll on the other leaders as best I can when I first meet them. So the first Aorzean leader that I meet is Melvib. And I'm like, what can I do to potentially make Melvib be like, why did the Gridanian send me this person? And I decided, Titan yeah, I decided <laughs> Titan's going on, you know, Titan, the primal Titan's an issue. So let me go ahead and wear a Titan mask. So I go and I meet with, I meet with Melvib in a Titan mask. And so I thought that was pretty funny. I took a couple of. Great way to break the ice. Yeah. <laughs> totally not offensive. So I thought that that was pretty funny. And I took a couple of screenshots of that. And then I was like, okay, well, now I have to meet with Raubon. Under normal circumstances, I usually start out all my characters in Uldah, so I don't have to meet with him most of the time. But I was like, well, I'm going to go and meet with Raubon in, uh, hmm, what primal is bothering Thamelin in Uldah? Well, Ifrit! I have an Ifrit mask, so I go in there with Ifrit's head. And then <laughs> it becomes 2 a.m., you know, 2 a.m. I said already. And I found... What I thought at the time, and I still think it's pretty funny, was the most hilarious line in the game. And it's he says something like, Ah, I guess from Gridania. I thought I smelled leaf mold. And for whatever reason, the idea of leaf mold just had me like laughing so hard <laughs> that I cried. I'll play it right now, actually. Ah, a guest from Gridania. I thought I smelled leaf mold. Oh man, it is like... Flame general delivering sick burns. He really is. He's he's such an. If it's like if your character comes from Limsa, he says something like, "I thought I smelled stale ale." I thought I smelled stale ale, and the first time that I did that with my Marvel alt, I thought that was hilarious, and I posted a screenshot of it on my Tumblr, and I don't know. In character, I think she would just spit right back. She'd be like, "Oh yeah, so glad to be in Ulda. What's that smell? Corruption." <laughs> 
Aww. And this actually started a in-character back and forth insult war between myself and a Ralbon role player that we know. <laughs> That's like one of the most funny interactions I've ever had. <laughs> yeah, so Ralbon giving sick burns is very funny. You should do that if you haven't. You probably have, but like, go ahead and listen to the delivery of those lines because they are really funny. The more I listen to it, the funnier it gets. <laughs> yeah, I'm so glad that made it through localization. Or maybe it was created in localization. Oh, it might have been. I don't know. I don't know Japanese. I would love to know what the equivalent of that line is. Mm. So we've been having some fun in-game lately. And also out of game, we've been up to a few things. If you are a reader of the Moogle Post, you may have noticed that we kind of took over their roleplay column. Just a little. <laughs> For the last few months, they have been basically taking the content of our episodes and reinterpreting them into editorial form. And we've been helping them out with that. Yeah, we've been helping as sort of collaborators and proofreaders. And if ever there are some things that, you know, maybe got misinterpreted, uh, we'll, we'll help them along with that. We don't want to make them have the same viewpoints as us, really. But we, we do sort of... Um, assist when perhaps our, our episode notes have been a little unclear. Yeah, they write it, but we nitpick it. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. So you should go ahead and check those articles out. I think they're a lot of fun to read. Yes. All the back issues can be found at www.mooglemedia.com, along with plenty of other very interesting high-quality content in magazine form every month. We're also coming up on a pretty big milestone within the podcast itself, I believe. Yes, we are slowly creeping up on a very, very magical number of downloads. 9,999, the ultimate Final Fantasy number. 9999. <laughs> that is a lot of downloads. I'm really impressed. Yes. So what are we going to do to celebrate then? Hmm, well... The ninth month is coming up, September. Mm hmm So maybe we'll schedule a special celebration on Twitch. I wonder, could we go on for 9.9 yeah. .9 hours? <laughs> I could. We'll just do like as many hours as we can yeah. of that 9.9. .9. But if we can reach that, that would be great. Yeah, so stay tuned for more details on that. Our 9999 celebration. And finally, something exciting happening. Not only in real life, but outside of the house? What? Yeah, there's going to be a convention here in my hometown, New York City. Liberty City Anime Con. And I had the honor of being accepted as a panelist. What sort of panel is it? I want to do a panel called Playing an MMO for the Story. Community, Lore, and Roleplay in Final Fantasy XIV. Nice. So a lot of what we're doing and what we talk about on the show, it looks like. Yeah, I wanted to sort of take a sociological perspective about my experience being a gamer and a fan and a role player and the different connections between the sort of communities, subcommunities, factions within the game, how they relate to each other and why sometimes they conflict. And at the end of the day, what are the reasons why people stick with this game, why they stick with MMOs in general? Just exploring that perspective. So if you happen to be in New York City and attending, I will see you there. If not... <laughs> I would like to get it recorded, or maybe even possibly take this to other conventions. It's a really interesting topic that I want to discuss because it's really fascinating to me how something so simple as a game 
just profoundly affects our lives, our social lives, and our emotions. So I want to explore some of that. So wish me luck. Good luck. Thanks. And it's pretty exciting stuff. I don't know if any of you are in New York City, but come say hi. <laughs> <laughs> and that will be happening on August 18th. So I'll be sure to report back. Sounds good. Yeah, that's not too far away from now. Yeah, summer is wrapping up quickly. Indeed. All too soon. And unfortunately, it is also now time for this podcast to wrap up very quickly. <laughs> if you would like to listen to more episodes of our podcast, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. You can also find us on our Tumblr at musecastxiv.tumblr.com or visit our website at musecastxiv.com. Of course, we also have our Facebook page where you can just look up MusecastXIV and you will find us, or you can find us on Twitter at MusecastXIV. We are very creative with our naming structure. Yeah, if you too would like to be quoted on an episode, <laughs> feel free to just let us Just write us in. Yeah. And if you like what you heard and you would like to support us in some way, you can support us one of two ways. You can go to our Patreon, where, among other things, you can get access to our episodes 24 hours before they come out, which is always pretty neat, and you can get access to bonus content, all the things that we wanted to talk about but didn't have the time to get to. You can also support us with a one-time donation on our PayPal page, and for both of those, just head over to our website, musecastxiv.com, and click on the shiny blue buttons on the right side of the page. And of course, we always have our Discord, where you can get roleplay help, lore help, uh, just talk about anything roleplay related. We have a lot of great resources on there, and you can find that also on our webpage, or you can find it on the contact page of our website too. Yep, we love to hear from people. And of course, any of the funds that we get from Patreon or PayPal will just go into things like prizes for special streams. Indeed. And production costs as well. Yeah, there's those. <laughs> <laughs> so, what is going on next time? Well, I have a friend that has agreed to a little bit of an experiment. Ooh. He's someone you might call roleplay curious. Likes the lore, has started to think of his character as someone separate from himself. His character is female, for one thing. And he was talking to me about her name and what it means in this language. And I thought to myself, hmm, I think he would like to try roleplay. So he's agreed to come on the show and help us develop his character live. <laughs> so it'll be a nice exercise in how to really get started building a character in real time and how even someone that's never done it before can come away with something interesting to work with. So we will see the results. <laughs> it's a newbie initiation. We're going to break him in. <laughs> So if you want to listen, be sure to subscribe. And if we don't see you again in Discord or Twitter, we will see you next time. Take care, adventurers. Yep. See you next time. Thanks for listening to MuseCast 14. Tune in next time when we'll be discussing Character Creation 101. Happy adventuring. And may you ever walk in the light of the crystal. <laughs>